Hi there, you're listening to the Venture Builder Map podcast. My name is Andries De Vos. I'm the co-founder of Slash, a Singapore-based venture builder. Every week I come together with brilliant minds to talk about how venture building is changing the way startups are incubated and corporate innovation is evolving. My guest today is entrepreneur, marketeer, and investor Mario Bauman. Mario has had a front row seat on how the gaming industry has exploded in the last 15 years, working for the iconic world of Tanks Game as the first overseas employee. He has a deep expertise in licensing deals for the gaming industry, e-commerce, entertainment, fintech, and adtech. Over the last few years, he has focused on more venture building advisory, boutique M&A, and investment deals, and helping startups expand from Europe to Latam and Asia. Hi, Mario. Thank you so much for joining us on the Venture Builder Map podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Hello, Andres. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Fantastic. So maybe to get started, uh, I, I'd love to kind of get a, a flavor of uh, the type of work you've done in the last two decades or so, because you've had a pretty broad experience as operator, entrepreneur, investor. So maybe you mm-hmm. want to give like a short flavor of what you've done? Sure, sure. So like as, 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 as many kind of entrepreneurs, uh, like my, my initial background is coming from market research and marketing consulting, uh, which was back in my hometown in Graz in Austria. After that, I've, I went into the, the marketing side of things, into the games industry, where I where I sticked around 10, 15 years. I've had my first own startup in my uh, mid-20s, which didn't succeed at all, but it was great learning. Sticked back then to licensing deals in the gaming industry. Started to work more on the global side of things there. I got a chance to be the the first like non-Belarusian employee of Wargaming, opened their offices in Europe. And after that, I've I've touched base into the fintech side of things, uh, specifically focusing on emerging markets like Latin America, uh, the Middle East, and later on also a little bit Southeast Asia, which then led me to opening like kind of like first smart consulting boutique agency in the South of Europe, where the idea was about like to, to help companies in Latin America and Europe to complement each other, or to expand into each other territories. Uh, ending up having engagements in New Zealand, South Korea, um, which at the end of the day brought me to Southeast Asia, where I'm living now. Now, very cool. So you mentioned that you kind of you were the first overseas employee for the world of tanks uh, mm-hmm. or for wargaming. You so you probably had kind of a front row seat at how they the game exploded in popularity. Mm-hmm. When I last I checked, they had like 160 million monthly active users. My question to you is like, did you know back then it would be such a success? If so, what were the telltale signs that a game can explode and this game would explode in popularity? When I met the, the founders um, and we, when we had our first chat together, uh, I didn't realize that the game is so big. I mean, also as a matter of fact, these guys would be traveling the world uh, one year before they met me, try to convince publishers to publish the game in certain territories, be that like U- US, uh, several European countries, Latin America, the more advanced uh, territories in Asia Pacific, such as Japan and, and Korea. And basically the only company they would find was a Chinese one c- called Kongzhong, uh, which would sign a publishing agreement with them. So but they were kind of desperate because they also were so sure that this game is going uh, through the roof. Um, so as a matter of fact, then uh, when, when the game left Alpha, phase and went into beta, the servers in Russia crashed. To answer your questions, I I was definitely not aware of the fact and did not expect that this game uh, is going to have such a hockey stick success. So what what made it a success? Was just the gameplay? 
the main success Wargaming uh, or World of Tanks made, made World of Gaming so popular was the fact that these guys were working very close with the community. So um, as, as today, when we look into metaverse, any kind of token projects, right? Um, community is the king. Wargaming realized back then the community is king. Why did they involve the community? People like which were like firemen, for instance, or soldiers, retired soldiers, even mercenaries in and around the areas of Russia would be uh, attending certain like focus groups. They would like uh, send them, ask them questions. There were like certain moderators in place from the company, but also like enthusiasts from outside. There were people like which would be like plastic model constructors and builders or those guys which have like little rain tracks in their basements where they are playing with, even though they are like 40 or 50 years plus, right? So all these people were basically like gathering in a forum and were con ongoingly in contact with the lead development team of, of Wargaming for World of Tanks back then. Because for Wargaming, it was the very first online game, right? They had experience in offline games. Back then, uh, people would like still be buying mainly the majority of people would still be going to, to a market to buy a boxed game. So digital distribution was very little at that, that time. These guys made their first online game, got the idea to involve the community experts in certain fields, specifically experts around like tanks, how to construct a nice map, et voila. A lot of these people also joined the game. It was a, like a major word of mouth. And then also what we have to consider here is that the average age of these people, right, was like not for back then the average game of MMO uh, type of gamer, but it was way older. Hence, they would also be able to invest more money into the game. So if today you would set up a game studio, maybe with some business partners, what would be your strategy? Like what, how, what do you think would be a winning strategy for to set up a gaming studio that could be, become quite big if you would have the energy, the, the inclination mm. to do so? I think I, I would look first like on what, what kind of like gameplay a scenario is attractive for, for players nowadays. It is actually a, a farce to bypass mobile today, but with mobile, you still have the issue that you barely can make a, a game with like really deep player experiences. There are a couple of core games on mobile, if Echoes would be one to mention, uh, but like really, I would say it's it's not more than one, two, two handful. Whereas compared, when, when you look into PC desktop, which would be still the platform I would be going for, since I'm simply like, I grew up with PC, that I'm, I'm just like too much attached to it. It would be very likely open world game, uh, whereas there are also plenty out of that. I think it's crucial uh, what Wargaming did already back in uh, 2010, 2011, to involve community. Community is nowadays even more important than, than it was back then. This is one part. And the other part uh, is um, having a good public relations in place. Yeah. So how do you see the whole play to earn trend? I mean, one Ooh. of the debates we had, you know, we for our own mobile game was whether it adds any value to the to the user, to the end user. You know, we understand mobile gaming can be fun. Desktop gaming can be fun. Can play to earn be fun? Perhaps. But adding money as an extra layer to a game, it seems to almost dilute a little bit kind of the focus of the game. So we're kind of wondering, is that the best gaming experience to have money? We understand it will always be people that like money and they will play to earn. You know, there's this whole debate or this purest debate as to whether play to earn is actually going to um, somehow diminish 
the quality of the games that will come up, especially because all the money that's now pouring into play to earn. So what's your take on that debate and how do you see that play out? If you look into like trends and reports from the end of last year, play to earn was the next big thing to come. And then also, if you if you look on X-Infinity nowadays, like compared to one year ago, right? I think a year ago, people were able to earn like up to 40 US dollars a day. And now it's like maybe one USD, if I'm correct. The entire mechanic of the game needs to be in place and needs to be backed in a better better than XE did it because you don't want to have like a high flying game for half a year or a year and then users are just disappearing because they can't make money out of the game and I think also you you don't make a game in order for the sake of people being able to make a game but maybe you want to look into the direction of uh, offering skill games where people can use their skills solely um, pa- participate in tournaments and like um, um, having prize spots which are built up by um, the players themselves. There is definitely potential in this field, there's no doubt. Um, we also see esports is flying as it never was before, where in essence it's also about price money, of course, and uh, and the big audience online as well as offline, thankfully again, can enjoy uh, big tournaments such as we had one uh, in Singapore re- very recently. But I think there's potential in play to earn. Um, I, I haven't seen a really good game concepts yet. I, I mean, there's also time, right? We have like Blockchain does exist since more than like one and a half decades as of now. I think we should give it a little bit of more of time. So let's switch gears. I mean, we, we spoke a lot about gaming, but uh, let's talk a bit more about venture building in general. I mean, at some point you set up a firm called Latin DV, which was helping companies across Latin America and Europe, especially mm-hmm. around, you were, if I understand correctly, you were more focused on on helping companies commercialize and, and enter new markets. Mm-hmm. What was the founding philosophy? Why did you identify that as being the driver of value? How were you envisioning that company to become, you know, that, that boutique firm to, to deliver a lot of value? Companies want to do business on a global scale, right? You want to take advantage not only from Europe and the US market, but then also Latin America, uh, which was obviously in the last two decades growing drastically. So, so, so did Southeast Asia. So uh, basically the, the philosophy behind this is that a lot of people are like a little bit afraid of entering new markets because of the culture, the language barrier, uh, the legislation in the countries. So uh, we've had um, experience on, on both sides. Uh, which is always very helpful if you speak like Latin American uh, business partner or if it's a European business partner. So it was more or less the, the, the experience of establishing business, setting up businesses, facing certain issues, being familiar with operations uh, in Latin America, but also Europe, which was like the main driver to success and um, helped us convincing become shareholders in a certain amount of startups like that. So let's switch gears to to a different topic. I know you've been uh, more and more looking at e-commerce and sustainability. Can you perhaps tell me what what opportunities are really, really excite you in the market, especially in Southeast Asia? The topic sustainability in Southeast Asia is like feels like it's a decade behind of what I have seen in Europe um, uh, before. Um, and and then also like considering the amount of people living in, in this part of, of the world, right? Some, something has to be done as soon as possible. That's also the reason why I've personally invested into a company which is uh, working in this field, uh, taking care of overproduced goods 
from companies like L'Oreal and Unilever, avoid, avoiding them to be put on a landfill and recycled in the Southeast Asian, uh, which is definitely another one that are European, but find buyers through a marketplace they're operating. I, I got very attracted by the idea since I think um, it's time to act to save our planets uh, like more than ever. Um, and when it comes to sustainability, right? And when I look into the European startup uh, field there, and what I what I see, what what does exist in certain Southeast Asian countries. Singapore is obviously very advanced. Uh, I think there's so much to do in countries like where we are, where we live, Andres, like in Indonesia uh, or the Philippines, which then obviously also lack of infrastructure, right? And maybe also of like common knowledge um, as as we have it. This is this is a one one point that that drove me a lot. And then also obviously since this company is. Is, is dealing with products which are worldwide known because they're coming from brands like L'Oreal and Unilever and looking into the e-commerce markets here throughout Southeast Asia, right? Uh, especially again, Indonesia, um, there are so many opportunities. I mean, the, the e-commerce market is about to be grow 10 times in the next five years. So we are talking about like phenomenal movement. We are talking about a very interesting approach from customers towards e-commerce, whereas like there is no laptop, there's no desktop required to do any action. Everything happens mobile, which is something very different to the to Europe and also to the US. Uh, those are things which which really attract me a lot. You're getting more and more involved um, in deal sourcing and, and acquisitions. It seems to me that that process is fairly broken, especially in Southeast Asia, where there is clearly more and more demand for M&A, especially in the early stage, like kind of like like early growth stage, whether it's for market entry purposes or to ro- to play a roll-up game where you roll up different assets of different markets. The, the process of deal sourcing for M&A seems to be very, very time-consuming, very relationship-driven. In other markets like Europe and US to degree, there's already like platforms that facilitate this better. How would you envision that that process for Southeast Asia, so that Southeast Asia could improve? If you would be an entrepreneur solving that problem, how would you solve it in other words? I think it would be fantastic to have kind of like a marketplace where our requirements and offer comes together, right? Specifically when it comes to funding into like smaller brackets, which uh, whereas we, we, we do have a group we started like a year ago in place, which is solely functioning through WhatsApp, which is so funny enough and so Southeast Asian. There's not even a proper company established around it. It's only based on, on trust and uh, certain SPAC entities which are set up. I think a portal... And this is actually something my friends have in mind to open, uh, is something um, that would bring a little bit more light into the shade. Uh, you're completely right. It's like like the lobbyists you need in Washington, D.C. You also need to have like in, in place in certain countries throughout Southeast Asia in order to open doors. And in that case, you really have to open doors. Otherwise, you will be stuck. Uh, so this is something I would like to to change in the near future. I think I, I think the appetite in throughout uh, countries, especially also in, in Vietnam, Thailand is very high. The appetite is there. The transparency is a little bit missing. I'm quite certain, like once market stabilizes again, um, the appetite also from European funds uh, investing maybe in some tech startups, whereas we have plenty throughout Southeast Asia, uh, will become bigger. And therefore, potentially also like a little bit more acceleration in terms of growth might be hitting our regions here. Uh, simply like to accelerate processes from 
executed successfully executed past projects uh, be it in europe or be it, be it in the us i mean saying this i don't want to say that like there's no chance to also bring southeast asian startups uh, to europe but again right europe is so much more diverse than southeast asia it is in terms of like cultures languages and and especially um uh, population maybe final question for you is um what what are the the trends and opportunities you see in kind of the venture, venture building space or the strategies you've seen that maybe excite you the most what ideas excite you the most in that space what excited me the most would be would would unfortunately be a buyout idea right so like based on a, a play to earn principle uh being able to gather kids youngsters together but then also teenagers into like certain certain um basically to keep it short in offline gaming builds like bringing bringing kids teenagers uh from the streets and them not being able having stupid ideas but being able to play in groups with others and being in that case also able to a create money or to create value beat vouchers they then could redeem um on gocheck um or Tokopedia in order to buy food. Uh, this is one item that fascinates me a lot. Another item that fascinates me a lot, the more old I get, is um, how can we expand our, our life experience? Uh, this is something we have recently started to look into uh, specifically, and I would actually love to make kind of like a platform out around this topic. So one is gaming related, another one is health related, which is for me a little bit of an untouched field, but a very exciting field. Yeah, very very cool. In my street we have a a girl who's 18 years old, her dad owns a small warung like an eatery and she played Axie Infinity and for a while she made more money than her father who owned the warung, which is really quite fascinating. Ones that, you know, and they they're they're simple folks with a rice field and it's quite interesting to see how how this offline gaming guilds will start having very real world impacts in rural communities like like in Bali. Mario, thank you so much for your time. This is a great chat. Really appreciate it, your time. Thank you for your time, Andres. Thank you for listening. If you found this discussion valuable and don't want to miss any future episodes, go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, search for the VBMap Podcast and subscribe.